G'day and welcome to the Sea Creatures Podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode we chat about a specific sea creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers, citizen scientists and people that have an intense passion for marine life. My name is Matt Testoni and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of Sea Creatures Podcast are two underwater photographers, Charlie Elliott and Duncan Hewer. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks, Hi, thanks for having us. Awesome being here. So we're going to be chatting today about a topic that I think every scuba diver loves, manta rays. And let's uh, kick the, get the ball rolling with, I asked you two, like kind of, you know, what animal and you, it was a kind of little bit of back and forward and then manta ray popped up and I was like, definitely. But why did you mention manta ray and why are they so amazing to scuba divers? So I've got a real passion for them because they're sentient. They have the largest brain to body ratio of any cold-blooded fish. And they actually have been proven in tests to react in the same way to mirrors that whales, dolphins, chimpanzees react. So they've actually got intelligence in there. And when you dive with them, you can really experience that. If they come and do a swim past and you look in their eye, you can definitely see that there's somebody looking back at you and really wondering what you are as much as you're wondering what they are. So it's just a really magical experience to dive with them. Mine's nothing is profound. The guy who taught me to scuba dive, Paul Cannings, is a, a scientist and somebody who spends his life teaching people about the natural world, and he's never seen a manta ray. <laughs> so the fact that there's a guy with thousands of dives who taught me to scuba dive, and the fact that I saw one before him was, you know, a win. So I just wanted to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so lots of people know what a stingray is and I would say lots of people know what a manta ray is but talk us through exactly what a manta ray is and how it's different from what people you know standardly think of as a stingray. Manta rays actually evolved from stingrays and they were stingrays typically they're bottom feeders so they suck up crabs and crustaceans and other things that they find on the sand and as that evolutionary branch expanded manta rays evolved to extend into the open ocean so they actually turned into filter feeders which feed on zooplankton so that's kind of how the trajectory in which they took off on but i also think they they look quite different to the normal stingray so a normal stingray or normal ray that you'd see on the sand bottom they're just kind of have a kind of pointy face whereas manta rays if you haven't seen a photo of one then people should go to have a look because they have these fins which are at the front which surround their mouths, which they can roll up when they're traveling through water or they put them down when they're filter feeding. So they can use it to direct food into their mouth or they kind of make them into javelins and improve their streamlined shape. And yeah, they just, they are, they are quite different looking from an oar ray. Yeah. And speaking of those kind of javelin like fins and so forth, and the reason why people often refer to them as devil fish, it's to do with their food consumption, which is largely thought to be plankton, isn't it? Have you guys seen them feed, I presume? Uh, yes, we have. So when they feed, they swim with their mouths open. And they typically, if you find them in groups, will form what they call a manta train, where you have one slightly above and one slightly below, and they form this train where they swim with their mouths open to scoop up zooplankton. Another thing they do is also they've got this weird behavior where they start doing what they call barrel rolling. So to try and scoop up as much as possible, they start spinning in the water with their mouths open. And that's one of the ways they eat. But there's actually been something discovered recently, and, and this is a very recent discovery, is that 
while they thought they consumed most of their food on the surface of the water, they discovered that they actually consumed almost three quarters of their food at depth. So in the twilight zone, I forget the scientific name of the zone, but that's the area of water where light penetrates down to only 1% of the sunlight hits the water. So that really sort of dark zone, they reckon that they're getting 70, 73%, I think, of their food is coming from, from that zone. Wow. I just love that they feed in the twilight zone. It just sounds so, so mystical. And yeah. that's the cool thing. They're eating on these microscopic animals. They actually, because they're sentient, because they're clever, they actually work together and they, part of this barrel rolling and training, they'll form shapes in the water that funnel the animals together that they, they can then go in and scoop them all up. So yeah, there's like lots of stuff around the way that they move through the water to try and corral these tiny microscopic creatures into a feeding funnel. Yeah. And speaking of microscopic creatures, so their food is, is microscopic zooplankton, which if anyone doesn't know is really tiny kind of crustaceans and larval kind of animals. But how big is a manta ray and how much do they weigh to put it in comparison to what their food source is? Well, so at the moment, there's two classifications. We have reef manta rays and oceanic, and there's a possible third in the pipeline, and they're still trying to work out whether it's actually its own species. Oceanic manta ray get up to seven meters. I read somewhere that the largest they've ever caught is eight meters, although I don't know why they're classified as getting to a maximum size of seven meters. And then reef manta rays get up to about five meters in size. And there's quite distinct differences between the two, which maybe we can go into later. But typically you get either a reef manta ray which goes up to in the range of three to five meters and then oceanic, which goes probably from five to seven adult size. Cool. And tell us about colors, because this is another thing that is really exciting. Not really color per se, but there's two types of manta ray kind of patterning, isn't there? There is. So one of the distinctions between the oceanic and the reef manta ray is on their backs, they have a collar and it's a black uh, collar. Now, the oceanic have a more of a T-shaped collar and the reef manta rays have a Y-shaped collar. And that's the black pattern on the back of their heads. They look very similar and it's kind of hard to tell them apart if you see them individually until you sort of put two side by side. Typically black and white or some are more black, some are more white than black. And then you get the albino ones that are totally white and you get ones that are also completely black. And they usually have some form of spot identification on, on their bellies. And that's one of the ways that we are able to identify individuals because they will have unique spot identifications on their bellies. But there's been an interesting sighting of a pink manta ray off Lady Elliot Island in the last few years. I don't know too much about how it came about to be pink, but well, there's some you might know, yeah? No, scientists don't know. They've, it's only been sighted about five times since it was discovered in 2015. And the photographer who originally sighted it and took photos thought there was a problem with his photos. Like he was looking at them and he thought he just over color corrected and put way too much red in and didn't really believe that he'd seen this pink manta ray. But they've seen it so few times that they can't really tell you anything about it. But as Duncan said, every manta ray, the spot pattern across the stomach and wings is completely unique and it's like a human fingerprint. So if you get a clear photo of the belly of a manta ray, you can submit it to the manta trust and they'll be able to track back through their records. And if they've seen it before, if it's been submitted before, then they can tell you some information about it. So we've submitted them before and they'll say, oh, we've seen this this many times. So the pink manta ray is called Inspector Clouseau. 
after the Pink Panther. What a great name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they, so you, you, you submit them and like, I love it. But we were in Heron Island recently and we submitted two, we got two clear belly shots of two separate individuals. One belly shot we submitted and the last time they'd had a submission on this particular manta ray was 2015. So they hadn't seen it in this whole time. And so they were really excited to have an update and know that she was still, she'd previously been seen in Heron Island and Lady Elliot Island, a reasonably close in the Southern Barrier Reef, but they hadn't have evidence of her existence since then. So that was great. And the other one, it was the first time they've ever had it submitted. So if you submit the first sighting of that particular individual, you get to name it. Wow, so, so cool. <laughs> okay, what did you name the mandaray? We called it Schmickety. Schmickety for people who know Duncan, is what he would have called it anyway. It's the name that you call things when you can't remember what they're called. And he would have endlessly told everyone that there's this manta ray and he'd be like, schmickety, and I would have filled in the real name. So we decided it should just be the official name. So that both of you can kind of remember the name easily. <laughs> and also, I will say that I did go and check with the Manta Trust and they have a, a real mixture of names. A lot of people name them after themselves if they're the first sighting. But there's also a lot of silly names and some of the ones that you can pay to adopt at the moment. There's like Mrs. Flappy, Spider-Man, Baba Ganesh. We weren't being kind of disrespectful by naming it that. It was something that means a lot to us and our friends. And we're very excited to hopefully see her again one day. Yeah. And I mean, that's the same technology that they use to name sea dragons and record weedy sea dragons, which are in the south of Australia. Although unlike the cool manta ray names, which you were just describing and things, I think the sea dragons often are just named after the photographer. And I think I have about five mats, a mat, a mat with two T's, a mat T. So... (laughs) I think you're doing a better job than the sea dragon naming is in Victoria. Same technology they're using to differentiate between rhino sharks. So there's a program called Spot a Shark, which does the same thing. If you submit your images, they do spot recognition on their flanks to tell whether the individual's been seen before and how often it's been seen and how far it wanders. Yeah, it's just crazy that I think this is where underwater photography can really become a science and citizen scientists can really get involved. It's quite exciting. I really love it because as much as you kind of hope that you're going to get a submission where you get to name it, that's fantastic. But also every time I've got one where they've gone through all the sightings, it's been just really lovely to see its life and see how far it travels as well. Yeah. So you can look it up on the website and see and kind of see previous sightings. And then especially if it has been seen in a couple of years out feeding in the twilight zone. Who knows? (laughs) So you named the manta ray, but... I want to hear what it's like to dive with manta rays. I've dived with a few manta rays on a few different occasions, but it sounds to me like you guys have a real affinity for it. So talk me through what it's like to see a manta ray underwater, the excitement and what happens. One of the first things you would notice if you hadn't seen one is you often all struck by the size of the thing. So while you might conceptually know that it's going to be somewhere between three and seven meters, depending whether you're looking at a reef or an oceanic, When you see it underwater, you go, wow, (laughs) that's huge. And there's something special about coming into contact and I guess coexisting in the same space as something that is is so large and is obviously such a foreign life form. So that's kind of one of the things that I find most amazing about diving with them. Another thing is that while they can move incredibly fast if they want to, and anybody that's ever dived with mandrays and maybe chased after them, in their excitement to try and get a photograph has suddenly realized just one flap of the wing and that thing's gone. Despite that, if you behave yourself around them, they are incredibly slow moving, graceful animals. It's often interesting to see how they can hang in a current 
with looks like very marginal flaps of the wings and they remain still while you hanging on with a reef hook or something like that. Um, that just that incredible power that they have and the experience while this thing is very gracefully swimming around often you experience them on cleaning stations so it's that's usually an underwater bommy where they come and they hang around so that little cleaner fish come up and pick parasites off them and so a number of the dive sites around the world that are known for manta rays are often these bommies known as cleaning stations. So when you when, when they take you to these cleaning stations and if you're lucky enough to find a manta ray on them, they're usually very slow, very graceful, incredibly large, powerful, and then just swimming so slowly around you in these little circles while these little fish are coming up and picking them. There's just something incredibly special about that. That kind of reminded me of seeing a manta ray and me kicking as hard as I could to kind of stay with it and get a photo. And it's just sitting there in one of the strongest currents in Komodo, just sitting there, you know, one little flap. And I'm like, how does this creature stay in the water column? And I've just burned through most of my tank, uh, you know, to get two photos. Exactly my first experience with the manta ray has just been such a bucket list animal for me to see in the water. So looking forward to it. We're in Komodo and we've been told there's a chance we're going to see them. And we were on this very, very fast drift dive where it's literally just like flying through the water. And we come around a corner and there's a manta ray just sitting completely still in the middle of this current over very shallow sand. And all of us kind of try to screech to a halt and to get a photo <laughs> and just whip past it while it just stays completely that. still. That was like in the cauldron or something. Like I know. One of the and dive we, sites where you just can't pause for the life of you. Yeah. And we were all there like clawing at the sand being like, no, okay. It was an amazing experience. Let's move on. And then this other experience that you get where you are near a cleaning station. And if you respect them and stay to the side of it, and just chill out and see how they react because they all have really different characters. And of the mantas we've dived with, if you, if you give them space, some of them just are on their own plan and they'll just give you space and they're fine. Others become curious. Often we've had like small ones that have come past and they don't really know what you are. They're not used to it. So they kind of get a bit curious and they get a bit bolder and they circle and they'll circle closer and closer. And then there's other ones that actually really enjoy the experience of the bubbles from scuba divers. So if you're scuba diving, some of them will come and they'll literally hover over you. And I had an experience, so we were in the Maldives and this one who it turned out was called Salsa when we submitted her to the Amanta Trust, but she's known for being very, very interactive with divers. And I got a video and she's coming over me. And I, as she's coming just next to me, I breathe in to extend the time that she, she goes over me because most mantas will disappear at, at the site of bubbles and I've got this GoPro and she's just hovering over me. And eventually I was like, well, I have to have to breathe out now. And she just wriggles in, in the bubbles and just <laughs> loved it. And was obviously waiting, for, hovering in the, in the current above me so that I would breathe out and she get that tickle. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I've never seen the wiggle before. I have seen the bubbles a little bit and my kind of memory is a little bit similar there were two mantas and one of them was a bigger one and it was doing what you were saying, kind of like coming for divers bubbles and it was quite intense. But the other one was a smaller, younger one. It was like it was learning to like the bubbles and it would come <laughs> up and just before the bubbles touched its chest, its chest, it would kind of bail and be like, ah, and then, you know, then it would kind of come back again like it was learning, you know, it was, yeah, it's amazing experience diving with them. 
that's one of the the things actually when you're trying to photograph them is often you should be patient and stay back because it, it is really up to the individual you're going to get different t- temperaments with different manta rays so if you rush at them straight away and try and take a photo or or maybe you don't have a camera and you're excited because you've seen a manta ray and you bolt straight for it you're much better off hanging back it's it swims a lot faster than you in the ocean and let it figure out what you are and you might be lucky you might have one that actually comes and seeks you out you might have one that just does laps around you but as soon as you kind of bolt towards it you're very likely to end the experience and that kind of brings me to talking about diving with them if you're someone who wants to dive with them because there are kind of two experiences one is the the bubble one we're getting all excited about but the other one is that often you do see them as you said on the cleaning stations and they're two very different uh, times to encounter a manta ray so talk us through what you do to one identify where you're seeing one and two how to do it so that you don't scare the manta ray off so generally you'll rely on local guides to find a cleaning station as Duncan mentioned earlier like if you go to places where they're known to be seen then the the dive guides in the area will know where the cleaning stations are and the and the main thing is to to stay behind your guide to have communicated with them before and make sure that they indicate it we've been in bigger groups before where the cleaning station wasn't really clear because often it's a pronounced lump of coral where it's quite clear that it's sitting out of the the sand it's easy to see but we've also been in places where there's a big area of coral and the area that's the specific cleaning station isn't as sort of clearly demarcated by the topography so you kind of have to rely on the guides to say you know this is where we need to keep clear and then you want to kind of circle around the cleaning station and if you get it right it's amazing you can be sitting rows of people on either side of the cleaning station and you'll just have mantas coming straight in between you like a runway and they just come in and slow down and stop as much as they can over the over the cleaning and have these little fish come out and then when they're ready they come around and they'll do maybe a circle and come back again you kind of need to be careful though because it's on their terms and it's very important for mantas to be cleaned so science varies wildly in terms of how much time they need to spend a day on a cleaning station but there is a significant portion of the time they need they need to be cleaned so that they remain healthy and as divers especially if you're diving a site for example like Komodo where there's tons and tons of tourists in a very confined area hitting those bombies every day and often those boats are on rotation so they're talking to each other going okay we'll go at nine we'll go at 10 we'll go at 11. If you've got divers hammering those cleaning stations and rushing at the mantas to try and get that GoPro shot or whatever it is you chase them off the cleaning station and potentially deprive them of that mechanism which cleans them and keeps them healthy so the best situation is yeah chat to your dive guide you usually know when you're going to encounter a bomby that they'll tell you that on the briefing and just sit to the side of it and honestly that as soon as you leave them alone they're curious creatures they're sentient creatures they want to know who you are some of them are more timid than others some of them will come straight for you others might take a little while but if you just sit tight respect their space you will get an amazing encounter Yeah, that's great advice. And I think you really have to know that there are cleaning stations and that's where most people see them. If you see one out in the open and it approaches you, it's very different. There's parts of the world where you can do that, but most of the encounters are cleaning stations, which just for everyone listening, if you haven't heard of a cleaning station before, they're so important because these huge animals get covered in hundreds of parasites, thousands of parasites even. And unlike humans with our nice little hands, they can't really clean themselves. And there's been some crazy cases where environmental pollution has destroyed cleaning stations and they've taken years to rebuild and the animals have returned, but they have not been in a very healthy state when they do. And their parasite numbers have been so bad that they can lead to their death. So especially in Komodo, as we were saying, it's really important. 
But on that cleaning station fact, have you guys got any cool facts on manta rays to share? So one of the things that's important to recognize about manta rays is they're probably one of the slowest reproducing animals in the ocean. So they reach sexual maturity between the ages of five and 10, and they only have one pup every one to three years. In terms of their ability to recuperate from environmental pressures and things, they in a particularly vulnerable position. They protected in international waters from fishing, but I think one of the, the most um, heartwarming parts about conservation efforts towards manta rays is Indonesia. So Indonesia is a country that often relies on fishing. It's a vast nation spread out across multiple islands over 5,000 kilometers east to west, and they've recognized how important mantas are to their tourism. They've also recognized how slow they are in terms of reproducing. So if they fish them out, they're not an animal that's going to bounce back quickly. And they've also recognized that manta rays tend to migrate from spot to spot to spot. So you can see a manta ray in Raja Ampat and then a year later, you can go see that same manta ray off Nusa Penida. So what Indonesia did in 2014 is made their entire territorial waters a sanctuary zone for mantas. So it's currently the largest manta sanctuary in the world and protected by the government. And I think that's really awesome for a nation that to a large degree does uh, fishing represents a significant portion of not only their, their income, but also their livelihoods. Yeah. And on the kind of reproduction side, I think I've got a cool fact, which is that they form kind of conga lines of manta rays where the aim is to reproduce. So there'll be one female swimming in the front and there'll be the prime male in the prime position behind her. And then there'll be a, like a trail of up to 20 males following behind in this huge reproductive manta ray conga line, which is, I think, amazing. Do you know, there's another interesting fact around that line as well. You know, the way sharks often bite onto the female when they're mating, mantas do the same thing. They don't have arms, so they need to somehow grip while they, while they carry on with it. And for some reason, they always tend to bite the left wing. So when you're looking for mating scars on a female manta, they very seldom see them on the right wing. It's pretty much always on the left wing. Wow. It's quite a bit of a manta ray fetish, I guess, the left side. <laughs> There's another thing now, I don't know if this is true. I once went to a thing at Australian Museum where they were talking about sharks and some of the traits they'd learned from studying sharks. And what they discovered is that sharks have a particular hand, well, they're, they're like us, left and right-handed, and went through a series of experiments where they figured out that sharks will typically always turn in a certain direction and it's more likely than not to either be left or right. And because I know rays are it's somewhat related to sharks, I've used this in terms of when I'm trying to photograph one to try and predict where it's going to move. And it's often served me well. I've applied the same line of thought to working out where to set myself up. And this actually worked out really well in Heron Island when one of the dives, we weren't at a, at a bommie, but we saw a manta ray and we had a group of divers that just bolted after it. And I just swam off in the opposite direction. And I thought either I'll follow them and get a great picture of this thing's tail, which no one's going to care about, or I'll go hang here in the deep because I've seen the direction that it turned initially. And I'm going to just take a punt on the fact that it might just turn that same direction and then come past me. And that's exactly what happened. Managed to get four amazing shots. One of them a complete belly shot with itself, with the manta ray sitting in a massive arch and all because of a lesson that I, listen to the Australian Museum on sharks. There you go. It just shows you that, that researching your animal and paying lots of attention to your animal when you do underwater photography or underwater sightseeing can really pay off. It really does, yeah. And so, Charlie, do you have a cool fact for us? 
I think we covered all of my cool facts. The thing that makes me most excited about them is just the fact that they're sentient, that they respond in mirrors. So they put mirrors in tanks or with manta rays and they will go up and they know that it's themselves in the mirror. So they'll go up in front of the mirror and they'll move in a way that is clear that they, they know it's them in the mirror, which your average cat or dog mostly will just bark hysterically and assume that it's, it's an enemy or somebody behind a piece of glass. But manta rays, they'll put a spot on them or like a mark on them and they'll go up and they know that this mark's not normally there and they'll like react around it and they'll respond to it. And it's, it's really hard to kind of have that empathy with a manta ray in the way like a chimpanzee looks very human. You can kind of interact with it in that way. With, with mantas, you have to be quite creative as a scientist to find a way to communicate basically they don't have hands they don't have facial expressions in the way we do but they're clearly really really bright and there's that interest in interacting and responding to things that you do so yeah i just i just love how clever they are that's so cool. if you mention it, they've got one of the largest brain to body ratios that's actually the first thing i said was it uh, <laughs> bit of a recap from the beginning <laughs> <laughs> i was paying attention though. well it's the british so it's the biggest brain to body ratio of any cold water fish so the other animals that we include in this are chimpanzees whales dolphins humans they're all mammals a manta ray is not a mammal like it's a completely different class with equally large brain and intelligence it's fascinating yeah i just have the best image in my head Going back to you talking about them in the mirror and having a mark on them. And just it's like a movie star with a beauty spot that they've put on their face, kind of looking in the mirror like, ooh, don't I look lovely? What's this lovely <laughs> new spot I've acquired? <laughs> so if people want to go dive with them, where are the kind of best locations that you've heard of? We spoke about the uh, Indonesia being a marine reserve, but are there any specific spots like someone who's like, oh, I really want to see a manta ray should go? Well, if you're talking about Australia, and especially now that we're stuck in a pandemic, some good spots are Queensland. So Stradbroke Island, reliably you see them, I'm not sure exactly, I think it's between December and March. I know that they have the Manta Festival at the end of January, beginning of February every year. So if you can get over there and hopefully not time it with a cyclone, you usually get to experience mantas just off the beach. Some other spots in New South Wales that you can experience manta rays at or encounter manta rays at are the Solitary Islands. In, and in terms of reliability, you'd have to kind of go further north. So while they do range and have been encountered in temperate waters, they're typically a subtropical and tropical species. So anywhere along the Barrier Reef, Heron Island, Lady Elliot Island, uh, Wolf Rock, which is a three-hour drive north of Brisbane, there's a manta bombing off there where they see them probably, they said about one out of every two dives, they'll see manta rays there. So that's in terms of Australia. I don't know if you want to comment on where they're found internationally. Yeah, I mean, obviously Indonesia, Komodo, we've spoken about. Uh, Nusa Penida is very famous. There's a, a lot of places you can not only scuba dive, but also snorkel with them. So that's pretty cool. And then the Maldives is obviously an amazing dive destination. Very well known for whale sharks and manta rays. You saw them recently somewhere. Where were you? In Mexico, yeah. Yeah, I've seen them in two places mainly. I've seen them in Australia, but mainly in Mexico, which is where I saw the kind of manta teaching the other manta with the bubbles and where the manta rays, as soon as you got in the water, would fly towards you and then compete with the dolphins for your attention, which it's the only place in the world it happens, I think, off Socorro Island. And you've got these dolphins trying to compete with the manta rays and they're like doing dances in front of you and the dolphins are trying to feed you and you just go, I don't want this to end. In Mexico, those would all be oceanic, right? Yeah, because... From what I understand, 
reef manta rays are only in the Indo-Pacific region. Yeah, so it's only the oceanic ones in Mexico mainly, which are humongous and not afraid of people at all. But I have seen them in the Maldives too, which was, I don't know, have you guys seen them at night time? We weren't lucky enough on that dive. We did spend a lot of time sitting under the spotlight on the boat, hoping they would come up. <laughs> but unfortunately, they didn't pop up during any of our nighttime endeavours. Yeah, I, the first time I went, that's what happened. The boat next to us got them. And I was like, oh, no. And I was so disappointed. But I was lucky enough to go back a second time. And yeah, it was, they stayed under the boat for about five hours. And you would just jump in with a snorkel and like have a bit of a look, jump out, change your camera battery, jump back in. <laughs> take your lens cap off <laughs> yeah and i think there's a very famous manta night dive in hawaii or somewhere isn't there there's one over in america that yeah is is very famous for doing a night scuba dive where you see the occasional amazing shot but mostly you just see a lot of torch lip bubbles with a vague shape of a manta ray in the background <laughs> your your options once international travel is 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 back open is endless for manta rays i read recently on a study that was looking at manta rays and it decided to study 23 different countries where you can reliably see manta rays. And the background for this study is they were trying to work out the economic cost of a manta ray, dead or alive. And they were trying to use that as a lever to encourage conservation with mantas. And what they found is that if you killed a manta, you know, fishermen took a manta, it was probably worth about $500,000. But in terms of tourism, specifically in the case of Indonesia, you probably got about a million dollars per manta in the life in its lifespan in terms of tourism. Anyway, the point of this digression was that their study concentrated on 23 different countries around the world. And the caveat was these were re reliable countries to see them. So while we've listed a few here, there's multiple countries in, in the tropical and subtropical region where you can see them with reliability. And then beyond that, there's still a, a whole lot of other countries that you can visit where you still see them, but they're fine, they're diving around manta tourism. Mm. Wow. Well, I'm going to go look up more countries to see manta rays, I think, after this. And if anyone, so this brings us to the end of the show. Thank you very much for being here. And if anyone wants to see more of both of your photography, where should they go and what should they do? I'm just Charlie Underwater on Instagram. So super simple. It's Charlie with an IE. Uh, my name's Duncan. I've picked the name Aussie Bubbles. So if you look up Aussie Bubbles on your favorite social media, <laughs> you'll find me there on Facebook, Insta and a couple of others. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Yeah, lovely to talk about mantas anytime. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram at Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography or my website, emptyunderwatermedia.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode all about manta rays. It was really cool. And coming up on our next episode is going to be Klaus, and he's going to be talking all about the goby, which is a very cool and cryptic fish. So if you like your cryptic fish, Tune in next time for that episode. Production assistance by George McGrath and music by the talented Jan Musel, who, now that lockdown is ending, he's going to be having some awesome gigs coming up soon. If you've liked the show, please visit our Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash creatures, and tell a friend about the podcast, because that's the best way that we can help it grow and we can get even more guests talking about sea creatures on the show. This has been the Sea Creatures Podcast. Over and out.